Hey, and welcome to the Pocha Podcast, the inaugural Pocha Podcast. I'm Kat. I'm Charlene. And we welcome you to listening to what it is about our world that we love to give you our insights on and, you know, why we should be because we're pretty awesome. We're awesome. And pretty funny. We're super funny. Sometimes. But we think we're funny. Mainly, yes. Uh, since this is the inaugural episode, um, first we'll talk about what a pocha is and why we consider ourselves pochas. A lot of times I know uh, that has been used as a derogatory term. So this is definitely our way of reclaiming the word and just... Um, Kind of taking it back and really owning that what it means to be somewhat bilingual, mostly bicultural, and growing up in the border. So before we get into the first portion of our show, who are we? Who are you, Kat? I'm a lot of things. Bocha, definitely for sure. But um, I grew up on the in the borderland, which is our second segment. Um, and uh, let's see, I grew up in El Paso and moved to New Mexico to go to school. And, you know, after a few years on either coast, I finally came back and settled, which I never thought I was going to come back to Las Cruces. But here we are a few years later. I'm a queer woman of color. I have a partner and we share custody of the four kids with their father. And we work at a non, well, we work at a nonprofit (laughs) and we work at a nonprofit. So my partner and I, work at two different nonprofits. And then you and I, Charlene, we are um, colleagues in crime at a local nonprofit. That was a true story. And what about you? I was born and raised in Las Cruces, New Mexico. I took a hiatus for about 10 years to live in Austin, Texas. I think sometimes you need to leave the place where you're from in order to truly appreciate it. So after that decade or so I came back and really got to appreciate what it meant to be in a small town and be back with my family. I got to spend sort of the last few years of my grandfather's life with him and um, I am married. I am not gay enough so you know also known as straight. Uh, Have a husband. Um, I previously had a practice marriage. This is the real thing. Right on. Yeah. He's amazing. Um, We have a son and a daughter. And yeah, here we are. I'm completely a pocha. Like I I think that's one of the reasons why we discussed actually starting a podcast because we found ourselves in kind of similar circumstances being really brown in some places and not brown enough in others and figuring out that we couldn't possibly be the only ones, right? So here we are talking about it. So that brings us to the first part of our first episode. What is a bocha? You had earlier mentioned that it could be used as a derogatory term. I've never, until I met really you and joked about it, I've never not heard it used as a derogatory term. Um, And the first time that it had ever been used toward me in a derogatory way I had moved to L.A. after I graduated college and uh, was working at a nonprofit, go figure, in L.A. And one of the other, uh, one of my other coworkers there, she's from a Latin American country and she speaks fluent Spanish. And aside from Spanish, she also knew or knows Farsi and English. And I don't even remember what the context was, but we were in the kind of break area and I think I was getting coffee, but... She's, she just like jokingly 
but snooty in a way that it was coming from someone who knew the language called me a pocha and I knew what it was I knew that it was a person of Latin American descent who maybe understood Spanish maybe spoke a little bit of Spanish but wasn't necessarily fluent and was very assimilated into American culture Um, And that comes in, I think, a spectrum of how assimilated you are and how much or how little Spanish you know. But yeah, that was the first time that I had, it had been used at me in a derogatory, and it was definitely in a derogatory. But I mean, she didn't mean it like mean. It was just mean funny, like, ha ha, you're a bocha and you don't know your, your language very well. Which, you know, I understand Spanish. My mom speaks Spanish to me. My mm-hmm. mom's side of the family speaks Spanish to me. And I can hold a very uh, third grade level education of Spanish conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of the time when I have conversations with my family, it's code switching, doing a lot of mm-hmm. English, Spanglish, Spanish conversations. And what does pocha mean to you? A lot of the same. And I can... My history with the language is a little bit different. Spanish was the first language that I learned. Um, My both parents were working all the time when I was young and my grandmother stayed home and my grandfather was retired by that point. So they took care of me a lot. They really were like second parents to me, which I think is probably the case with a lot of Latinos you know you have an extended family it's not just that nuclear family it's a lot of primas and primos and tios and tias and that was kind of my experience Um, but once I started speaking and started speaking Spanish they really backed away Um, my grandmother and grandfather lived in East LA for a really long time and you know my grandma was working in like a linen cleaning, linen processing kind of plant. And they would make fun of how she spoke. They would make fun of the way she said the word sheets. I will never forget her talking about that. And at the time, of course, I was too young and didn't understand it, but they didn't want me to have that experience, um, nor did they want my cousins to have that experience. So they started speaking English. And I'm sadly one of the few of my generation of cousins that speak Spanish at all. Um, And I did, you know, in adulthood, I lost a lot of it and really had to go back to learn Spanish. And I still find myself in that predicament of, you know, trying to gain more vocabulary, just trying to be more fluent um, because I've definitely lost a lot of it. So, but it's that history of why they started speaking English that is so interesting to me. Um, and it's not just the language. Of course, we talk about the language and that kind of being central to being a pocha is if you're, you know, Latina, Chicana, you don't speak Spanish. Um, but it's also the culture. Like, what else have we lost? That's just kind of the big picture thing. But there's a lot of little things, the intricacies, the traditions, uh, the clothing, the food, all of it that have gone with it. So um, so I don't know about how far back your family emigrated like um if it was your parents parents or your parents 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 my mom is originally from mexico my father's father is from mexico so i've pretty much always considered myself first gen immigrant you know particularly on my father's side or my mother's side i'm not as close to my father's side as i am to my mother's but my mom still has a very very thick spanish 
accent. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing is she's the second oldest of her siblings. So the oldest herself, and I want to say maybe until halfway through her siblings, they have varying degrees of a Spanish accent in their English. And then the, as the more kids they had, which meant that they had come to the United States um, when, when the younger ones were much younger. So my mom was in her uh, like 2021 20, when they moved to the States. And so her young, some of her younger, younger siblings don't have a Spanish accent at all mm-hmm. when they speak English. And it's interesting to hear that, you know, the two oldest ones, super thick. After that, it's semi, you could tell. And then, and then there's the, the final like four who don't have a Spanish accent when they speak English. And yes, I know that my mom has been made fun of by the way she says, you know, like sheets or shampoo. And that's kind of an interesting thing about bocha-ism or, or our, our culture online. There are memes that you see where you know that they're kind of making fun and you laugh and you giggle, but you also know that for your parents or your whatever, you know, whatever generation came over from a Latin American country, that that was hard. It's not something you laugh at, but we kind of do. Right. And, and, and for you, like how, when did your family or did the line just cross them as they, as some generations do? Actually, that's funny. I remember, you know, you start learning about these things in school and whatever you get curious. So I asked my grandmother, like, where, when did you come to the United States? And she was like, it came to me. One day I was in Mexico, the next day I was in the United States. And really that was her experience. You know, my grandfather, his parents were the ones who came over and those are my maternal grandparents. Um, not as close to my paternal grandparents as I was to my maternal grandparents. But on my father's side, my grandmother has indigenous roots. She, in fact, you know, looks very Indian, um, very Mexican Indian and, it's interesting to note how even their lives were very different. Like my dad's parents grew up on a farm. My grandma was making cheese. She was taking care of animals and things like that. Whereas my mother's parents, um, my grandmother never or didn't work outside the home once the kids came along. But my grandfather worked at, uh, had a government job and then slowly started acquiring property when he could started Uh, I remember him talking about there was a a woman in our small town who everyone knew to have a lot of money. She was this elderly white woman who had a lot of money and her husband had passed several years ago and left her a bunch of of, um, assets. And my grandfather would go to her house and have coffee with her once a week or so. And she ended up lending him money um, because he couldn't get a loan at the bank at that time. And that's how he started. He bought a gas station. He bought some apartments. And really, that's what sustained them into, well, he was 98 when he passed. And that that was the financial security that sustained him through those times. So just really interesting, even within my own family, to see how, how money and influence and assimilation affected them differently. So you're listening or tuning into the first episode of the Pocha Podcast. I'm Kat. I'm Charlene. And the first uh, portion of this, we're talking about what it is to be a pocha uh, or pocho if you're male, uh, male Gen Mexer and listening to us. So what parts of pocha are positive? I think, at least from my point of view, in social media, especially since things that, conversations that we have um, are more, more at, at our fingertips, like 
we wouldn't previously, you know, when we were in high school, been able to have these kinds of conversations online. So it's, you know, recent surge of social media and whatnot, where we can have memes that again, with the, how you pronounce shampoo or um, whatnot, kind of laugh. And so I feel like Gen Mexers or Gen Latinxers, we, and you mentioned reclaiming, we've sort of started reclaiming what it is to be pocha and we can kind of laugh and bond over that. And that's for me a positive about it. Like, okay, yes, I'm not the only, I don't feel alone. I'm not the only one who had maybe a, an identity crisis about being from an immigrant family and and having an, a, an imposed shame on familial accents or culture. Yeah, so it's, it's a reclaiming and it's reclaiming in a positive way knowing the roots that were used using pocha and the pejorative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you keep saying memes and I can just think of hearing my tia say meme and it cracks me up because <laughs> uh, that's the other thing. Sometimes I'll read a word in English that is in Spanish and I'm like, what? Or the other way around. Uh, I think that's a common thing that we've talked about too, just losing losing your English or losing your Spanish when you're trying to speak in one or the other kind of accepting that we live in the middle of both worlds and it's okay. You don't have to be a sellout to one side or the other. You just get to be that because it really is the crux of where you came from and your recent history as far as your parents and grandparents go um, and what they had to do and how they had to live to get us here is important and it matters. Um, So there are parts of me that are super basic white girl shit that you know what my grandparents fought hard for me to be able to be that I like if I want a pumpkin spice latte that's you know I think my grandma would be like yeah high five girl do it but it's complicated it's complicated because it depends on what circles you're in because that can be looked down upon if you're you know selling out and you're not brown enough or you're not um paying tribute to your roots at all times like you're not screaming from the rooftop that like you're chicana and chingona all the time and um let's face it it's exhausting either way so we're just gonna take the easier way out and accept who we are and uh, be pochas and be happy and we know that there's a ton of of our listening audience who might be able to self-identify with that as gen mexers or gen latinxers and from differing parts of the country, which is super interesting. I mean, we know we know that there are pockets of Puerto Ricans in New York, New Yorkans, um, pockets of of Cubans in um, in Miami, and of course along the borderland area, which is our second segment. There's a ton of Gen Mexers and Mexican Americans who have settled in the uh, in the borderland area. So let's get into that. What is the borderland area? What was it like growing up here? Yeah, thanks for, that's a good segue. I think this goes beyond our personal experiences with our families. And really, we can talk about how people growing up in the borderland, which I grew up in Las Cruces, uh, we're about 40 miles from the Texas-Mexico border, um, depending how fast you drive, 30 minutes or so. And it's a different experience. I think, um, Kat, I was super interested in some of the conversations that you brought up to me about growing up in El Paso and really having a close connection to Mexican heritage and, 
you know, I think it's funny when you watch the news to think about folks who don't live in the borderland and they're hearing about the wall constantly. And that's just a part of our life. Like we grew up just seeing the wall and not thinking about it. We grew up crossing that bridge to go buy whatever it was we were going to buy or visit whoever we were going to visit. And it wasn't CNN worthy. It was just how we did. Just life. Just life. So... So the borderland area, I mean, I think when when folks hear or or hear the word, they're thinking more like California, maybe Arizona, definitely Texas. They forget about the New Mexico borderland area. And actually, my Green Gex (laughs) partner was talking about how listening to, God, what was it that she was, I can't even remember what she was listening to, but I think it was a report on NPR, maybe she mentioned, where the person was talking about the borderland and they said, California, Arizona, Texas, and they missed over New Mexico completely. Um, And quite honestly, I've I've said this jokingly, but it's really in, in part true. El Paso is less like Texas, at least for me. Mm-hmm. I'll speak for myself. El Paso to me was less like Texas and more like New Mexico. At, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you grew up 40 miles from the border. I grew up like three miles from the border, legit. Right. And my father, who was an educator, worked at a school, which its back windows, the view from the back windows was Juarez, legit. It was right on, mm-hmm. right on the Rio Grande. Yeah, so that was, and there, you know, I'll say this about my experience growing up in El Paso um, and the borderland area. For me, it always felt like an us versus them. Even if you had family in Juarez, there was always a, but we are American and they are Mexican. And it just felt like there was this orgullo, this snottiness about like, we are better because we're on this side of the border. And that was always an interesting and sometimes horrible feeling mm-hmm. that you get lost in um, and in the borderland area because you can see parts of what is when you go to the mall or when you right. when you're on I-10 or whatever you see you just see what is it's not like it's 15 miles away and you have to do some traveling you see houses you see people driving their cars walking on their streets mm-hmm. and whatnot and even that just saying like they are driving their cars and it was just but it was just such a weird feeling growing up that you had to feel better about yourself because you were on that side of the Rio Um, And I don't know if it was like that for Las Cruces growing up here. I mean, it wasn't as in your face as that. I'm sure even as a teacher, your dad had students who were coming over every day just to be in school and things like that. We absolutely didn't have um, the proximity that you're talking about, but we you know, we would drive to El Paso to go. The big city was El Paso, our closest big city, right? To go to the Rio Mall or whatever. That's where we would go. And yeah, it was just, it was every day. And I think in Las Cruces, there was still kind of that separation about how assimilated you were, how much English you knew, where you documented, which takes on a whole other meaning now. I think the pressures and the political landscape have made that word almost a bad word. And it wasn't back when we were kids. It was just, you know, like so-and-so can't get certain benefits or can't get this certain job because like no tienen papeles, you know, that's just, and it was just said, it was a fact. It just, it. I don't know that there was like a value placed on it, but 
like there definitely is now. So I definitely think our experiences in that way were different. Uh, but I also remember my grandparents or, you know, talking about family or friends that were still living in Mexico that were like Sondaya, like they don't have the same things we do. They don't have the same experiences we do. And, and feeling lucky, feeling blessed, feeling successful that they were here. Even now in, in contemporary, like in our contemporary landscape of where we are politically, and maybe even then, or, you know, when we were younger, but definitely now when there's conversations about the wall or about border patrol or militarization of the border, I have definitely heard members of my family who are like, but they should come over right. We came over right. We mm-hmm. came over the right way. And when I hear that, yeah, I, I get a little, I've, I've had a few, I've had a tiff or two, not enough for me to stop talking to them, but for me to be just like, you know, you, you didn't make that decision. Our grand, my grandparents, your parents made that decision for you, how they came over. So you're lucky you're here legally and it's not easy. It, so my, my grandfather worked at Stalman Farms, which is a big pecan orchard mm-hmm. um, here. And that was, that's one of our big agribusinesses in uh, the Southwest. And his company or, or Stalman Farms had sponsored him to be here. And you ha- like, if you're going to work up here, you have to be sponsored. So that, let's be real, that shit is not easy. Right. That's, that comes with privilege itself. Like, right. On some level. And so, yeah, there are, there are people that we grew up next to and we don't, we may not know what their status is, but, you know, filling out the paperwork, having someone to sponsor you, whether it's a company or whether it's someone else, getting your visa, getting your green card, all that, it takes money. It takes, mm-hmm. it takes a, a certain level of literacy that some people have more of a privilege of being able to do. And, you know, and sometimes it takes like, I don't know that this necessarily happened in my family, but I have heard that it takes a little bit of level of greasing the wheels with a few dollars to get your paperwork done properly or speedier. For sure. Um, And that doesn't always happen with folks. Absolutely. Or people get, you know, I mean, there's people looking to capitalize on that, on that too. There are coyotes, there are the smugglers, there are people, lawyers trying to take advantage of folks who may not be literate or don't understand enough English or just don't know the process because it's confusing and, whether it's intentionally set up that way or not is a whole other conversation. But you're right, it's not easy. And um, it's difficult to imagine a person in that position, even in that position, having any kind of privilege at all. But there are so many layers of it. There are so many different stories. So once again, you're listening to our fr- very first episode of the Pocha podcast. This Which one I might was late s- to. Huh? Which I was late to. Oh, Piffle. Whataburger's important. I was hungry. Do you ever notice a Whataburger here in Las Cruces is more expensive than in El Paso? It's what? crazy. Yeah. Especially if you put green chili on it, which in this area, putting green chili on stuff, it's almost, green chili is like a religion over here. For sure. Because it's delicious. And when you go out of here and you're living like, I've lived in LA, you've lived in Austin, and maybe Austin had some legit green chili, but no. LA, they had Anaheim green chili. And it's like, not as hot. Uh-uh. Let me tell you the green chili story about Austin. I remember after I had lived there for a few years and, you know, I, I would come home and take back like chile like it was, you know, I was never going to see it again in my life and stock a freezer full every time I'd come home. 
but I remember after I'd lived there for a few years, the Whole Foods legit got like hatch green chili and it was a big deal. So there were all these super excited, very white people standing outside waiting for their green chili from Whole Foods. And it was one of the most hilarious things I had ever seen in my life. But I'm not going to lie. I was totally in line, too, because like I wanted the chili. I didn't care if I was standing in front of, you know, Whole Foods. Uh, you got to do what you got to do sometimes. When I first moved to L.A. and um, and I wanted chili, it didn't occur to me that they wouldn't have hatched chili oh. available. Or you get it the poblano. Never- like Chilevano oh, with the Poblano. What is that? What is that? I don't know. And you know, whatever. That's what folks outside of here eat, and that's what they. That's what maybe what they've grown up with. But the first time that I at, I wanted a Reno and I had ordered it, and I get a Poblano chili, I was like, no, mm-hmm. this is not. But hey, you know, and not that it's not good. You're right, but like, don't call it a Reno and expect me. Like, it's not going to be your grandma's Reno on the plate. Don't expect that. Truth. Yeah. Truth. Speaking of grandmother's reno and and even the word legit, we're going to transition to the last part of our initial episode in what we're at least for now calling um, que hay de nuevo, so like what's new. And for this one, it was an old school versus just old, <laughs> right? So we've dropped legit a few times because that's kind of how we speak, you know, I've, I actually use that term. You also um, say pantaloons. I also say pantaloons. And piffle. And piffle. So I'm both old and old school, I guess. <laughs> where did you get legit from? Like, it just makes me think of MC Hammer too legit to quit. Is that where, is that where we're, we are? Maybe. I mean, we are Gen That's Xers. Terrifying. We're in that. Like, I was born in the mid 70s. <gasps> I know. Bum, bum, bum. I started getting my canas when I was in my mid 20s. Wow. And for folks who don't know what canas are, they're white hair and I know people pull them out, but seriously, I worked very hard for every single one of those that those bitches are staying. Good for you. <laughs> I'm plucking with tweezers. <laughs> and if you ha- if you can't tell between the two of us, Charlene is more refined. Wow. I am not. I refined. <laughs> Yes, very much so. I'm going to work that into my introduction. I'm Charlene, the refined bocha. I'm Kat, not refined. <laughs> I'm, still old a bocha. And, I'm old and gritty like my pantaloons, <laughs> but still a bocha. Who says pantaloons? Um, <laughs> people above 90 say pantaloons. Mm-hmm, exactly. um, so old school versus we're just old. I'm going to get this set up right quick. Um, yeah. When you proposed this to me, I was like, I don't know where you're going with this. Like, yeah, que hay de nuevo. What do we learn this week? What do the interwebs teach us? What What's cool? What's new? And then you bust it out with sometimes people are just too old to try to sound young. And yeah, I think you have a really good... Uh, example of what you were trying to talk about too old to sound young sometimes too old to be wearing young clothes um yeah a lot of too old to be dot 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 happens but in this particular case and i got this off off the interwebs so um and maybe some folks have heard uh, have heard this clip or seen it because it was part of a local newscast where some of the newscasters wanted to i guess connect connect with their younger viewers which Mm -hmm. to be honest i don't think they were watching but hey you know whatever that's that's what you wanted to do um and they tried to connect by using some language that maybe maybe they just should have stayed away from Mm -hmm. so let me get this set up and see if we can't hear it 
Good morning, TPS students. It is testing week and it's time to slay all day. Yeet. Stay woke beyond fleek and get that Gucci breakfast. Goals. Say bye, Felicia, to that testing stress. Weather's going to be turned, right, Chris? Yes. Toledo weather going to be V lit during testing week. A hundo P chances hundo success. P. You've got this, kids. Steve, how about that traffic? Are we looking better than Okur? We're talking turn FOMO won't be an issue. No. I just want you to know, like, of when I the first time that I heard this and I wasn't really paying attention to it, um, I I could tell. All right, I I know this is not going to be politically correct, but of the four voices you heard, I could tell one of them was of color because the way they did the Cardi B like oh because Roll he did ours. it so well. Roll your ours. <laughs> But okay, so to be real, those newscasters are younger than us, more than likely. We're in our early 40s. Mm -hmm. And maybe I've said a few of those terms, maybe. I have not said yeet ever. On fleek, if you ever say that, don't. To you? Okay, to fine. Anyone. So yeah, so what's the cutoff? Like we say OG, we say legit. But I guess some of these words should just not be in our vocabulary, no matter how <laughs> urban we may be or <laughs> how young we may think we are in our heads. You are just giving me the look. I can't get over these people still. It's so bad. Well, And I think it, you know, I think it's all about being authentic. If that's your true, if that's your authentic way of speaking, you know, who are we to judge? But when you're trying that hard, it's it sounds terrible. Like it's obviously not their go-to language to talk about things being on fleek or what. I can't even remember the horrible things. Bye, I want. Felicia. Bye, Felicia. Yeah, don't. All right, she's too. Okay, how about this one for you? This is um too old to uh, too old versus what was it? Too old. Old school. Old school. Okay, so but one of the the one who said the the woman who said um, bye, Felicia. Okay, she too young to have even watched that movie. Right? She doesn't even know what that means. Right? She's like, where's she's, Felicia? Where is she going? She's seen the meme, but she can't. She wouldn't even be able to mm -hmm. tell you about it. All the things. All okay, the so at what like what line do we draw? We have kids that we want to. All all four of our kids are teenagers, and they use some of that language, mm -hmm. and you know maybe to try to connect. Would it be horrible if I dropped one of those? I'm sure you have. Why don't you tell us how that went? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you know you. You have it. a teenager. Have you tried to drop that with him? Does uh, he use that? No, he doesn't really. No. No. I mean, he'll. I think he's careful. Like he knows how to code switch between how do I talk to grownups and how do I talk to my friends, which is great. I'm all about you know that's. He knows how to be respectful and whatever and. Um, but he really doesn't talk to us like that. And when I've heard him talking to his friends, I think, you know, he'll, he'll drop some stuff here and there. He'll but drop some knowledge. Drop some knowledge. Not, not excessively. Not to the point where I feel like we don't speak the same language. So I have to try to use this other, I don't know. It, it's not that bad. Um, but I think in order to understand maybe where they're coming from or what emotion they're putting behind something. It might be helpful in some cases. Uh, I have a confession to make. Mm. I don't even know what the hell yeet means. That's how I know I am too old. 
Can I tell you that like a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, my husband's mom had attached uh what do you call it like when you send a text but then there's like a signature on the end of it right, oh, right. like so huh. every text you send out has the same thing at the bottom and it said yolo oh my and he had to ask me what is yolo <laughs> <laughs> and then i told him and he's like why does my mom have that? like how does she even know how to do that first of all and why the hell does it say yolo at the end of her text messages and that's because yeah. she's retired and she get, she has all day to look up these things to, to how to do the things but, but like is it is it my place to be like yo swagada you don't only live once like no yeah you do like do what you gotta do i don't know okay but our like gen gen xers wasn't ours carpe diem so it was the same you said shit. that like in real life wasn't it a thing? Yeah, for Shakespeare? No, for the movie where oh, Robin Williams was a teacher and he stood on the desk. Oh. Right? Like after that, Mm-mm. what the hell was that movie called? I don't remember. <laughs> so Dead Poet Society was uh, a movie that came out in our youthdom. Mm-hmm. And they said Carpe Diem. Um, and I yeah, think no. that was like a thing. I, I mean, I saw mm-mm. shirts with that. No. Mita? No. No? Mm-mm. God, you're go even giving me the look. Diem. All right. But so. I was way, I was way busy being a thug. Like my Aquanet bangs and me in high school were not saying carpe diem. I was walking around trying to pretend I wasn't in the honors writing club and shit. We were not saying carpe diem. No thug life right there i was not about the thug life growing up my father would have kicked our ass if we were anywhere related to that at Mm -hmm. all and even though that was part of our our neighborhood um yeah we were we were just north of what's called a segundo barrio in in el paso Mm -hmm. and no we would have gotten a black eye if we would have ever come close to wearing khakis and Cortez mm. and long socks, even though it was something that I desperately wanted to be a part of, there I there was no way. Oh my gosh, there's brand new pink Cortez that came out with like this rolled rose gold swoosh, and I want them so bad. Uh, old school versus we're just too old. Hey, there's a real life example. <laughs> I think you're a bit too old to be sporting. I didn't buy them. I just <laughs> said I want them. Uh, and yeah, you know, I wasn't real. I mean, I was not myself involved in uh, gang culture for real. I had a lot of friends and some um, really good people in my life that were. Um, and I absolutely had a lot of respect for that. And uh, not something my mom would have agreed with. Absolutely did not agree with. And I think it's hilarious that you're telling me all this while you are a person who wears lokes every single day. I love lokes. Uh, old school or too old? Mm. Hmm. You know what? I got, I get mad props from people wearing my lokes. And in, in my day job, I had to wear suits to the session, the New Mexico's legislative session. And I would still wear my lokes over there because I didn't care. I love my lokes. I love how they look. I love that I have to go to the gang store and um, only speak in Spanish so that I can get my looks. I absolutely love them and will support them. When I come with my Cortez, I don't want to hear it. Uh, 
<laughs> Maybe you should get black and white, old school, and not rose gold, new school, just to keep it authentic. Oh, I'm getting the look. Um, so, yes, old school versus bra. Just You're just too old. Too um, old. Yeah, I'll have to find that balance because I'm too young to be saying pantaloons. Mm-hmm. Too old to be saying yeet mm-hmm. somewhere in between, which is kind of what we are. Should have never pocha. been saying carpe diem. <laughs> That's my inner old old lady nerd falling out of my mouth. True. But that's where we are. We're pochas. We're somewhere in between. We're Gen Mexers. We're the generation in between. Um, so we're living and straddling this amazing world in this amazing borderland area. And we hope that you follow us on this journey of our podcast. And if you are brave and want to hear how we are digesting this life that we're living, um, we hope you tune in next week because we have some super awesome things to talk about. Or maybe not next week. I don't know when we're doing this next again. time. Tune in next time. Next time. Um, we have in the we're in the process of mm-hmm. getting together a website getting together a Facebook site because let's face it, um, our audience is probably going to be Gen Mexers or Gen Latinxers like ourselves who use Facebook and not the Snapchats. Um, so Facebook, we're, we're in the process of having a Facebook fan book page or what have you. Um, yeah. So join us in future episodes. Um, what will we be talking about in future episodes, Charlene? We are going to take on the irony of Cinco de Mayo. Cinco de Drinco, bruh. We are also going to be talking about the confusion even within our own state. Like New Mexicans are confused. What's your heritage? What does that mean? How we segregate ourselves based on if you're from the north or south. Because that's a thing in New Mexico. And then I'm super excited about our que de nuevo topic. And I don't don't even want to talk about it right now because I just want to wait until we get there. Just know that every episode will have a que de nuevo. What's new? what we've learned in between now and the next episode or what we've found interesting on the interwebs that we want to share with you. And of course, we'll have a way that you can share with us because we want this to be a back and forth conversation. We want you to join us. We want you to, yeah, be a part of our life as much as we want to be a part of yours. So that's it for this first episode of the Pocha Podcast. Now we can go and drink our cafe and have some conchas. I'm past that. I'm ready for... Prosecco and oh, yeah. that's your the inner white girl needs some prosecco. That is true. I will not deny that at all. No. I do, do they have? Some is there such a thing as um, pumpkin spice flavored prosecco? Because that would be kind of the that ultimate. That sounds disgusting. <laughs> that sounds terrible. Um, but I, I do love the pumpkin spice latte. I'm not going to hold that against you, mm. mainly because I can. Go to the, the S-Bucks and get me something. Yeah. I like the caramel macchiato, not yeah. going to lie. Now, if somebody wants to start making like an Abuelita Chocolate latte, bring it. Right? I'm, I'm down with that. I'm down. There needs to be the Latin the Latinx version, the E-Starbucks, mm-hmm. with the E-Granma, the Abuelita. Mm-hmm. Although I, I won't be able to drink that, but yeah, more power to you. All right, well. What do you think, Kat? Bocha number one. Bocha number one in the books. And next next time, next week, next month, next whatever, next time, bocha number two. I like it. All right. We'll talk to you later. We'll chat at you. Peace out. Peace out.